So it's interesting that passage, as we've been using the Underground Railroad as our ongoing uh, illustration this month. And um, if you haven't seen the movie Harriet, I still recommend you go see it. It's very much worth your time. Um, and this, this, the, the scripture today just reminded me, as Jesus says, as, as the bad things are going to happen, as the end times approach, as we wait his coming. Um, but we have to endure. And, you know, before all the slaves were free, we had to have a civil war. You know, there was, there was bad things happening before that. Um, and um, as you may recall, you know, free individuals who helped runaway slaves travel towards freedom, they were called conductors. We called the Apostle Paul our conductor in this series. The fugitive slaves were called cargo. Onesimus is the cargo. We'll get to him next week. Safe houses along the way of the Underground Railroad were called stations. And, of course, there were masters. Philemon is the master. And I realized as I was preparing for next week, which was supposed to be our final sermon for the series, that we were leaving somebody out, an emancipator. So after Christmas, we're going to have one more sermon from Philemon to talk about who's the emancipator in all this. But today we're going to be looking at Philemon. He's the master in the story of the master and a slave. The story of somebody with freedom and privilege and how the Apostle Paul is speaking to all these people. He desires that they be reconciled. Not as a slave to a master, but as brothers in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20 talks about us having the ministry of reconciliation. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Philemon is just, the book of Philemon is, is this thing being carried out. Paul wants Onesimus and Philemon and himself, Paul, to be reconciled to each other. But before they can have this good relationship with each other, they all have to be right with God, too. And today we're going to look at this letter from the perspective of Philemon. And when I started this series, I had a hard time. I was like, how do I get in the mindset of Philemon? He's the slave owner. In America, we don't like slave owners. It reminded me of the Rolling Stone song from 1968, Sympathy for the Devil. I don't have any sympathy for the devil. And it's hard for me to have sympathy for a slave owner. But, you know, sometimes I get labeled as evil by someone else because of my beliefs or actions, just as I may perhaps unrightly label somebody else. You know, one of the biggest challenges to reconciliation between people is trying to get into the other person's head, understand where they're coming from. What's your mindset? What's your situation? Just as to be reconciled to God, we have to get, I have to get out of my own presuppositions about who God is and who I think God is and understand who God really is and the reason why God has done what he has done. And so, getting to that, it's like we're going to 
have some sympathy for Philemon and understand what kind of guy he really was. The slave owner. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon, we're going to start in verse 1, 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Epaphra, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God when I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. I haven't heard Paul say anything bad about Philemon in those verses. Philemon's a good man. But good people still need to change. Good people still need to change. Look at how Philemon is described. Paul says about Philemon, you're a dear friend. He says, you're my brother. He's not just a friend, but he calls him like family. He says, Philemon, you're my co-worker. He says, you participate in the faith. You don't just have the church meet in your house. You're there. He's not collecting rent. He's a member, and he's participating. He's Paul's friend. He's his brother. He's his co-worker. He actually participates in church. The other people listed there are most likely his family. So he has a family that also participates in church and serves and are brothers and sisters in the faith. As I said, the church meets at his house. So Paul says, I thank God for you, Philemon, slave owner. I thank God for you. He says, Philemon, you have love for all the saints. He says, every Christian that you love, every Christian that there is. He says, Paul says, I myself have received encouragement from you. And in fact, any Christian who has come in contact with you has received encouragement from you. You're a good man, Philemon. And the most important thing, Philemon has faith in the Lord Jesus. Philemon is a good people. But Philemon still has change that needs to happen in his life. Verse 6, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective. He's doing all this good stuff. He says, but you know what? There's something that's not right still in what you're doing. It's not that you're not good. It's not that you're not doing good things. But you know what? You can be even more effective. It says, every good thing that is in us should be for the glory of Christ. It says, and you're a good man. You do good works. You love people. But you still got some stuff in you that's not for the glory of Christ yet. says, Philemon, you're Clark Kent, but you still got to be Superman. Clark Kent is a good man. And here's something interesting. In DC Comics, Clark Kent's a Methodist. 
These are people. <laughs> Clark Kent is good, but in order to be a hero, in order to be fully effective, he's got to be Superman. It's kind of a reverse of Jesus. Jesus is God. We can say he's Superman, but in order to save us, he became Clark Kent. Jesus, with the one with the privilege of God the Father, who said, I and the, and the Father are one. Isaiah 53, 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. And one more, Hebrews 4.15 We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. The call for us is to go from being Superman to Clark, or from Clark Kent to Superman, because Christ went from Superman to Clark Kent. Now, in Wesleyan tradition, we have old terminology that John Wesley wrote down made sense at the time: Christian perfection and entire sanctification. Those are old terms that really need updating. What John Wesley was really trying to say with those things is. We should be able to get to a point in our maturity where I live my life not to go out and defy God, but I go out to love as God loves. That doesn't mean I'm done, though. It doesn't mean I'm done getting better. And that's, that's where Philemon is. Philemon's a good man. He's a good Christian. But he's not done The Apostle Peter talks about this in 2 Peter 3.18. He says, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And James talks about James 1.4. Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James also writes in 1.25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law and the law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. I need to realize, there are good people in the world who are Christians, and there are good people in the world who are not Christians. But there are two reasons I, I think that those two groups of people are, are, are different. The reason why a Christian is good is because God is good. The reason why a Christian loves is because God loves. And secondly, and this could be true for a non-Christian, but not no guarantee, the Christian should be working to improve his or her goodness. And that's where Philemon is. Philemon's good. Paul wants him to be better. See, the world's message to people is often either, you're good enough, 
or you'll never be good enough. And God says, I can be good and I can be better. See, the first step to reconciliation between people, if Steve and I need to reconcile, the first step is not realizing that Steve can change. The first step is realizing I can change. I can be better. And so that's where Paul starts off with Philemon. Philemon, you're good. You can be even better. So let's continue on. Philemon, starting verse 9 through 13. Paul writes, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending you my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. Good people need to change, and good people live in flawed cultures. Good people live in flawed cultures. Roman culture of the time, a lot of people were slaves. And Paul, although he knows the Roman law, he doesn't appeal to Philemon on the basis of Roman law. Because Roman law is flawed. Roman law allows for slavery. So he makes no appeal on the basis of Roman law. Roman law has put Paul in prison, an old man, because he's been preaching salvation through Jesus Christ. He's in jail for that. Roman law is flawed. Roman law made Onesimus useless. So Paul says, I'm not going to appeal to you on the basis of the law. Not on the basis of Roman culture but Jesus' culture. Paul says, Jesus' law is the law of love. Jesus makes people useful. John 10.10, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's useless stuff. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus' law is love. Jesus makes people useful. And Jesus makes people free. Even if they're physically imprisoned. Paul's in jail. He's chained up to a Roman guard. But he calls himself free. He's still sharing the gospel, even though that's what he's in prison for. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He's not free. And yet, he has found usefulness with Paul because of the gospel. We're going to put up a culture wheel up here. These are all different components of culture. There's a few different versions of this. I thought this one was pretty cool. Most of these things can be good or neutral or bad. You know, let's start with food. Food is good until we eat too much. When I was a kid, a large soda from McDonald's was like this big. You know, that's a small now. And the large is like this big. 
Food is good till our culture says be a glutton. Art, drama, and music can be uplifting, can get people to think. It can also be pornographic. Depends on your culture. Attitudes. Well, it depends. Are attitudes selfish? Am I only about my own rights? Beliefs in a culture. In our culture, we want diversity of thought. But quite often we demonize who does it, anyone who doesn't agree with us. Language, customs, rituals. We have thanksgiving as a ritual. That's a good thing, giving thanks. But it's very quickly being replaced by Black Friday shopping. Just a few years ago, stores started opening up on Christmas or Thanksgiving Day. Our ritual of thanks is being replaced by a ritual of consumerism. All that affects behavior. And faith and religion is part of culture. I was reading an article a couple weeks ago. It says, our new commonality in United States culture, it used to be religion, and now it's addiction. Not everybody has the same addiction. Some people, One person's addicted to alcohol, another person's addicted to the phone. It says, but that's our new commonality of culture. We're addicted. Sometimes our culture doesn't line up with Jesus' culture, with God culture. Again, Francis Chan, I read this last week. I'll summarize it. The church must stop apologizing for the way that God thinks and acts and what he says is right and wrong. In today's culture, the pervasive mentality is that we're all fighting for our rights. But one of the most important passages for our generation is Isaiah 55, 8, 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Why would God do this? I wouldn't have done it. This is coming from the mindset, whether we know it or not, we believe my mind is the ultimate. And what God is saying is, I don't think like you do. My culture is not your culture, but we can join God's culture. And the New Testament speaks a lot about walking this line between the world's culture and God's culture. 1 John 2, 15-17. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world, with its lust, is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Make a choice about what you love. James 4.4 You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. The culture is flawed. And Peter, 1 Peter 2.11-12 Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. He says, as we're in the world, we're not going to be doing everything that the world is doing. And people might say, you're wrong. He says, but they're not going to be to accuse 
any of your actions of being actually evil. That's why Jesus wants us to be the salt of the earth. And the salt can't lose its saltiness. We need to be the light of the world, not hidden. So, as I said before, the world's message to people is often, you're good enough or you'll never be good enough. God says, I can be good and I can be even better. I need to understand that the first step is that I can change. And it's, I can change even if my culture doesn't change. I can change even if my culture doesn't change. But guess what? The first step in changing my culture is changing me. Let's finish up. Verses 14 through 17 in Philemon. Paul writes, I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. One more thing good people have to do. Good people must make their own choice. Good people must make their own choice. Paul asks for Philemon's freely given consent to free Onesimus. He says, I want you to make the choice to do this. Not out of any obligation, not out because of any laws. I just want, I want you to make the choice out of love. He says, Philemon, I want you to welcome Onesimus just as you'd welcome me, Paul the Apostle. Paul, the privileged and free man, welcome Onesimus the exact same way. Paul wants Philemon to understand the other viewpoints besides its own. He says, understand Onesimus' viewpoint, what he's become. Understand God's viewpoint of freedom. And Paul says, understand my viewpoint. I need him. As we look into history, at some point, every abolitionist, every slave, every conductor, every owner of a station, every government official... And even every master had to make a choice. No spoilers here, but when you go see the movie Harriet, watch for the character Walter. Walter has the best arc in the movie. He starts off looking for himself, and then at some point he makes a choice. I don't want to spoil it. We've got to make our own choice, even if we're good people. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God, his dearly beloved children. And Romans 12.1 and 2 Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Notice both of those passages talk about 
imply a choice. I have to imitate God. If I'm going to imitate somebody, I have to choose to follow them. I have to present my body. See, God has the power to change me, even if I'm already good. And of course, if I'm bad. But I have to choose to be more. God has the power to change other people. God has the power to change my culture. But here's the hard part. I have to let others make their choice too. I need to understand that I can change even if my culture doesn't change. But God gives me the power and God gives me the choice. You know, cultures, I think, are less defined by what we say our ideals are, but rather what we actually do. I'm not a person that's down on America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Let me say that up front. But just last night, I this hit me last night. The uh, we've got a lot of potential presidential candidates, and and there's a lot of uh, programs being put out there as possibilities that that are trying to address uh, uh, economic inequity. It's a form of reconciliation. They are trying to reconcile the finances. And I realized that one reason why I think that doesn't work is because no one's trying to reconcile the people. See, Philemon has a financial interest in having this slave. And Paul even addresses that in his letter. If he has any debts, I'll take care of it. But the goal wasn't to reconcile Philemon's finances versus Onesimus' slavery. He says, let's start by reconciling the people. The economics will then take care of themselves. You know, we have our ideals in this country of unity and life and the pursuit of happiness. But in practice, I see quite often a culture of division and death and addiction. But God says, I don't have to live in that. God says, the church is not that. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. Those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew no, nor Greek. There is no, no slave or free, no male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, Philemon probably had already dealt with the Jew versus Gentile part. Philemon's most likely a Gentile, and he was brought to faith in Jesus by Paul, a Jew. He's letting the church meet in his house, so he's got Jews coming in his house. But now he's growing into that. What does this, there's no slave and free part mean for me? You know, I haven't talked about this in a while, 
my my mistake? You know, what are we growing into as a church? What do we want to become? You know, in our culture, the divisions are black, white, Asian, Latino, whatever. Especially even in this church, we have our divisions. There's boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. Here's the thing. Our church is good, but it will be more good when all those divisions come together in one family. That's what God, that's God's culture. Let's pray. From Psalm 98, I sing to the Lord a new song because he has performed wonders and his holy arms have won him the victory. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of all the nations. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant and shout for joy and sing. For he is coming and he will judge the world righteously and the people fairly. Lord, I live in a world that I know doesn't align with all your values. I, as a person, do not always live up to your values. But I thank you for the blood of Jesus, one that cleanses us from our sin, from our shortcomings, and your Holy Spirit, which empowers us to be better. Lord, we ask for your power upon each member of this congregation so we can take up the ministry of reconciliation. That we can be in peace and harmony with each other. Be in peace and harmony with you. And with those outside the walls of this church. Even if we disagree on culture. So that they may come to know you and be transformed. You made a good world with good people in it. The extreme evil people are the exception. But Jesus, we all need you. Let us be ready for your return. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, the giver of freedom. Amen.